0: would like to welcome you to the retreat. My name is Joseph Goldstein, this is Larry Rosenberg. We'll be teaching the retreat together. Tonight we'd like to give a very brief introduction, speaking a little bit about the practice, about certain attitudes which are helpful in practice little bit about what meditation is about. I just finished sitting myself for a month here at the center and so I have a renewed and fresh enthusiasm for what's possible in the practice. It's quite an incredible journey to take the time come and be quiet and to investigate the nature of the mind. Our whole life is the manifestation of our mind. It all starts in the mind, it begins in the mind. Yet very rarely do people have the interest or the desire or the inclination to investigate and understand and penetrate where all the activity, all the interaction, all the relationship is coming from. What we do in the practice is something that's so simple. It's so completely simple that most of us miss it. The simplicity of what we're doing Is that of paying attention in each moment to what's happening in us. Simply to pay attention. To watch our bodies, to watch our minds, to watch our sense doors. To be present for our lives. And even as I say it, you may think, well that sounds simple. Just to be present you will see by the end of this evening that it's both very simple and very difficult. That our minds have been habituated and conditioned to be lost in thought and fantasy and daydreaming and concept and ideas and images and comparing and judging and planning and remembering and you'll see how very difficult it is to simply be present. But it's possible, and it's a training. And what we're doing in the meditation is training the mind, teaching the mind, practicing this quality of present attentiveness. Because it's exactly this attention that enables us to discover, to go deep into our own nature, to find out what this mind-body process is all about. Who are we? What's going on? What motivates us? We Begin in a very systematic way. And, and the beauty of the practice is that it's very systematic and very comprehensive. It touches every part of our experience. It opens us to every part of our experience. So we train the mind in this awareness. We begin to touch some very fundamental questions about our lives. That is, what what is the nature of suffering? How is it that we get caught up in different kinds of suffering? In our minds, in our bodies, in our lives? What's the cause of that? and also to see in a very direct way the possibility of freedom the possibility of opening opening our hearts opening our minds and so it's a very it's a very fantastic journey it's a journey into ourselves into understanding it's not easy because our minds have been habituated and conditioned in certain patterns throughout this lifetime and perhaps for many lifetimes. So there are certain attitudes which, if you bring to the practice, will be of tremendous help and support to you. The first one that I'd like to mention, and it's kind of the, if you can remember and if you can work with it, you'll find extremely helpful, is that of of patience. The relationship to practice, to meditation, is sort of like a relationship you have with a husband or wife or lover or friend. You know, there's the honeymoon. And then after the honeymoon, you have to go through all the stuff. There's a honeymoon period in practice where it's tremendously exciting. You know, the first time I sat down and just started watching my breath and it was so exciting to me. That lasted for about 10 minutes. (laughs) And so people have varying lengths of honeymoons. (laughs) Maybe 10 minutes, maybe an hour. By tomorrow afternoon for sure the honeymoon will be over. And so you need patience because a lot of stuff starts coming up. You start dealing with discomfort in the body, discomfort in the mind, restlessness, boredom, all kinds of things which are part of the journey, part of the discovery. They're not outside of the meditation. They're part of it. But you have to understand that they're part of it so that you maintain that patience and perseverance to keep looking, to keep investigating. And there'll be ongoing instructions and discussion to help you do it. And so just as a starting point tonight, keep in mind that there will be a lot of ups and downs even within this short time, even within the weekend. You'll feel wonderful and inspired and enthusiastic, and you'll feel bored and terrible and wonder why you came. And... You'll feel inspired again and wish that it would go on for a month. And always changing. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of cycles. Know that beforehand. So that as you go through it, it doesn't throw you. You recognize it simply for what it is. The changes. To work with that sense of patience and balance behind the ups and downs. Did anybody not hear that? I'm going to remind you tomorrow when you're in the middle of it that you all heard it tonight. Be patient. Something else that's very helpful which Gina mentioned is that sense of staying alone, staying within that is, not speaking, avoiding eye contact, most of our lives are spent in relationship, in contact, in communication, which is beautiful, and there's there's a tremendous amount to be learned in that. A retreat is a very special time. It's a protected environment. And what's created here is a space of aloneness and silence. It saves you the trouble of going to a cave in the Himalayas. You know, you just have to come to Barry. But you have to create that for yourselves. You have to respect that silence and that aloneness. Use this weekend to be with yourself. Because it's rare. You don't have that opportunity very much. And that space of aloneness and silence provides a kind of clarity in which you'll be able to see and understand so much. Silence is one of the most healing aspects of the retreat. It's actually a great relief not to have to talk. And so settle back into it. You know, it's not that you have to be tight or tense with it. Relax into the silence. Relax into the aloneness. Enjoy it, because it's a very cool space. And the silence and the aloneness will illuminate for you very clearly, in a very clearly defined way, what your experience is, because you're not distracting yourself. So as you go through all the changes and the ups and the downs and feeling good and feeling not so good, it will all be highlighted with such precision in that space of silence, in the space of clarity. Being patient, keeping balanced, staying alone, staying with yourself that's especially true for those of you who have come either with friends or family or husbands or wives. Be alone. Use the time to be with yourself. If you're driving down a road and you're in a car going 55 miles an hour, you're looking out the window you can get a pretty good sense of what the scenery is about. If you're bicycling down the road, you'll see quite a bit more detail of what's going on. If you're walking slowly down the road, you'll, you'll be able to see things that you couldn't possibly see if you were traveling in the automobile. In just the same way, we encourage people, for the most part, to slow down a lot. Because as you slow down your movements, your activities, you'll be able to see with a much finer precision and a much greater accuracy what's happening in the body, what's happening in the mind. So as you move about the center, Right, this evening and tomorrow and Sunday, you know, you come here and you're probably mostly in fourth gear or overdrive. Start downshifting, you know, to third, to second, to first gear. And it'll take some mindfulness and attention to do that because we're mostly in the habit of moving quickly. If you can remember. Start moving slowly and paying attention. You'll begin to see a lot of the details of what's going on. A whole new world begins to open up. Be patient. Be silent, be with yourself, slow down. There are five precepts which we follow here at the center. And I'd like to communicate them to you because they're the foundation of the meditation practice. Five basic, basic moral precepts not killing not killing anything, even if there are some insects or bugs or mosquitoes or whatever, really to cultivate a reverence towards life, to honor that, not to steal, which means not to take things which aren't given. For the retreat to refrain from sexual activity, the precept traditionally is to refrain from sexual misconduct. On the retreat, it means to observe celibacy and just to use all your energy for the cultivation of awareness and mindfulness. In our daily life, that precept has other meanings. Obviously, there are appropriate intimate relations. We can talk about that a little bit later on in the course. But to observe that precept here in terms of Refraining from sexual activity. Not lying, which if you keep silent will not be a problem. And refraining from taking any kind of intoxicants. So there's no alcohol and no drugs. and Just very natural, very simple. The precepts are important. They're the foundation for developing a still mind. You should just reflect briefly on them with a a commitment to follow them while you're here. The Buddha said in one of his teachings that there's no greater gift, no higher gift than the gift of truth. And that's really the gift that you give to yourselves and that we give to each other in being here. So what we're doing is coming in the fullest way possible to the truth of our own experience. Free from our concepts, free from our ideas, free from our opinions about it. And coming to the actual reality of each moment. And you will be very surprised at what you find. There's a whole world to discover. A whole world to open up that normally we are totally unaware of. And what we'll be doing in this weekend is a beginning training in the tools necessary to discover this world. To discover who we are. So it's Tremendously exciting, and I'm, I'm very happy that you were able to come and be here in practice. Larry's going to talk a little bit now. Also, introduction to the retreat and the beginning meditation instructions.
1: Good idea if you all stand up. And just do whatever feels natural. Move whatever part of your body seems to want to do. Perhaps do a few shoulder rolls or if you accumulated tension somewhere. Your body knows what to do. Just stretch. Kneecaps a few times that sometimes gets the circulation (coughs) going. While you're doing it, experience your body. (coughs) Whatever it is that Mm -hmm. you're doing. You feel a bit cooled out. Sit down. say some of the same things that have already been said. <coughs> Putting a slightly different emphasis or actually filling in a bit of detail. Although this space is used, has been used before we arrived for all the things that have been talked about and will continue to be used that way when we leave, we happen to be here now All of us have arrived, and many of you are here for the first time. Perhaps it's your, not perhaps, it's your first intensive retreat. A few things might be helpful in terms of the attitude. As I see it, what we're all attempting to do in working together, together is creating an atmosphere of awareness and sensitivity. Now, the rules of the house are set up to strengthen that, to protect that. But it's, it's more than observing the rules. For this silence to really affect us, we have to use it. And so that means the awareness, if done by all of us, as much as possible, bringing it into absolutely everything that we do here. There's an atmosphere that's created and that atmosphere protects us and gives us all energy in terms of that one dimension of continuing to be awake maintaining our sensitivity in the face of all the changes that Joseph alluded to. One problem that sometimes comes up is that we have images in our head as to what meditation is and there's even a special hall for it. This is called the meditation hall and it's a very beautiful place Some of us have sat here a lot. And it becomes even more beautiful the more you sit in it. And we'll be here a good deal of the time on this weekend. But because it gets featured, particular posture, the instructions, the fact that it's mainly in silence here, that teaching goes on here, because it gets featured, it becomes sanctified. And what can happen is the rest of our time here, which is spent out of this room, a considerable amount of time as well doing very very ordinary things going to the bathroom getting dressed getting undressed getting a cup of tea looking outside to see whether we want to take a walk or not you know the very small details which when added up constitute our our life pulling a chair out and leaving the table putting our shoes on and off for the two millionth time, lacing them for the two billionth time. So all of these small details have a tendency to be systematically undercut so that what is done in here can become holy, sanctified, dharma, truth, meditation, yoga. And somehow, although we've heard the teaching that, and to some of you perhaps you haven't yet, but you may as well then right now, that Vipassana is everything. it begins in the morning when we wake up and it ends when we go to sleep experiencing our bodies in bed until we're asleep waking up in the morning and so forth getting that the whole day underway so what I would suggest is that it is a rare opportunity and for many of us because the meditation aspect the sitting meditation is featured we've come here to get away from many of the ordinary things in our life and so there's a possibility, a great one of not bringing quite the same quality of attention to our time spent in the dining room, in our room, putting off clothes off and on, etc. What I'd like to suggest is that every moment in Vipassana practice is a perfect moment to practice. Not only that, every moment is your life, whether you approve of it or not, whether you feature it and think it's extremely important or think it's humdrum. It's our life happening from moment to moment. And although we're doing many of the things here that we do at home, we do have something else that's different. We, we don't have a lot of the responsibilities and burdens, time pressures, etc. So if you could, bring your the best quality of attention that you can to these very routine activities. How many more times do we have to get dressed and undressed, sit down on the toilet, flush the toilet, wash our dishes, and so forth? Now if you come to see the meditation hall is where it's at and everything else is sort of well, you know, it's on the way, filler then you're undermining the opportunity that you have this weekend to really begin to bring consciousness into your life as a totality because clearly when you go back it's those details that will dominate and so we can do both it's not to underestimate the importance of our sitting practice here which will begin in a few moments but please try to understand that it's a whole day, a full round of life, which can include some very new things for some of you and some things you've been doing for a long time. And in the process of coming and going and doing all the things that we do, it's true we're here alone. But it's also true that we're here together. It's a strange these meditation groups are strange groups. I don't mean that they're weird, but they, they're a little bit different than anything else that we do because we're here to come to know ourselves and yet we, we're doing it in the midst of others. <coughs> the Buddha referred to the Sangha or the group of like-minded seekers of truth walking the path together. It seems that to me that the central thing we're here for has to do with self-knowledge. Who am I? And that self-knowledge can become the biggest or that phrase, who am I, can become the the huge cliche. It usually is. One version of it or another is an every university masthead. The truth unto its innermost parts. And there are just many, many different ways in which it's said. But clearly there aren't long lines of people rushing to gain self-knowledge. It's as if we all value it, but you do it. And yet, over the centuries, there have always been human beings who have understood the vital importance of self-knowledge, of coming to know ourselves. And so, we're alone, in a very important way we're alone here, and we're together in another important way. It seems that one of the reasons that there aren't lines of people, except maybe at IMS, wanting to come to know themselves is that we're afraid. We seem to be afraid of ourselves perhaps more than anything else. And to come together this way if nothing else is to provide support to each other, admittedly nonverbal most of the time. It's a statement, to me a very powerful statement, that we're all here to come to know ourselves Obviously, there's some uneasiness and fear involved, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't need anything special. We'd just be doing it from wherever you all came, wherever I came from. And so it's an acknowledgement. Sometimes it's done more formally in the Zen tradition. We all bow to each other before sitting and at the end of sitting. Or, an appreciation is made explicit to this ancient tradition starting with the Buddha, but really starting long before the Buddha. There have always been people attempting to do this. Buddha is a generic term. There been many Buddhas. And so, it's to show inwardly, even for just a second, to show appreciation for the fact that during these ups and downs that Joseph referred to, that we're in company, we have company, we all take turns, <laughs> not wanting to be with what's there is what we find. Okay, so please use everything. We all have to collaborate to create this atmosphere of awareness. And I think the attitude is of extraordinary importance. In my own case, it comes about this way. that It seems as if we, as things change during the day, as they will, you'll like some things and not like where you are, then you'll like it, not like it, you hate this hall, love it, etc. We have a choice as to whether we see things as problems or as problem-centered or as challenges. Challenges to self-discovery. And I vote for the latter. Now, if you can start to learn to adopt that attitude, so in other words, to view absolutely everything that happens to you without exception as a challenge rather than an opportunity to fail, an opportunity to uh, complain about still another problem in life something miraculous happens you see there are really three teachers teaching here I mean, in a sense Joseph and I are the official teachers and our name has been on brochures and all that but the third teacher is life itself to get back to everything that we do here now that can become, and often does that can deteriorate and become the biggest cliche of all What I mean by that, absolutely that everything that's happening here is potentially a teacher. It's not a cliché. The universe is doing an extraordinary job of teaching. It's a great master. For one thing, it's teaching impermanence, from moment to moment. But everything else that's happening is also (coughs) teaching. You find that your body is very stiff, as some of you may have discovered. Why? Why is your body stiff? Now You may not get the answer while you're here, but you may discover it has to do with your diet or the absence of movement. You find yourself irritated while waiting on a line. Why? What is that irritation about? So that our reactions can be teachers. Things keep happening and we keep reacting to them. If you have the attitude of learning as being central to this endeavor, then it becomes a challenge. Absolutely everything that happens has the creative potential in it. And it's not a cliché. But unless we become disciples to our own understanding, it is a cliché. So it means they ask, the teacher is going on all the time. This teacher never gets tired. And the question is, can we be fit students by bringing that quality of care and attention to everything that we do? That means you have to remain really sensitive, pliable. For example, those of you who are new here will start to notice that people who have been here before will be walking more slowly and doing a lot of things more slowly for the reasons that were noted. It can be very helpful. It's not that slowness in and of itself is an end, but certainly for a period of time slowing down makes it possible for a certain clarity of perception to come about. And so, by all means, if you've never done it, slow down. But then what happens? You find yourself on a long line where everyone's lined up to wash dishes. And if at that point you maintain this incredibly slow pace, including when you get, when the turn comes for you to wash your dishes, you do it in a very, very slow way, very deliberate. In one sense, that's beautiful. In another sense, it shows not complete understanding of awareness because now we're in a social situation with other people. And that's why we can't escape the fact that we're alone and we're together. So at that point, sensitivity, intelligence, if you're open to it, will tell you that you wash the dishes more quickly simply because there are a lot of people and everyone has things to do you try to maintain attention while doing it and then when you finish you go back to the slowness if that's what you've been doing and that's just one in a certain sense trivial example the learning that goes on can't be codified and it can't be if you put it in a spiral notebook and by the way I would suggest that you not do that not take notes not read be, be, really be with yourself so the kind of learning that we're doing takes place from moment to moment and then it dissolves. You really can't use it for the next moment because the situation changes and we change. So it's that freshness of staying awake from moment to moment that I'm referring to. Again, potentially another cliché. Okay, one exercise that's been used for millennia to help people come to directness in their life is to observe the fact the rather obvious fact that we're breathing at this moment each one of us in this hall is breathing without exception no doubt about it and you didn't have to come here to learn to do this it's been going on as long as we've been going on so if you like please close your eyes some of you have perhaps had other training and are more comfortable with your eyes a bit open or whatever, that's up to you and take a few deep breaths deep simply meaning a bit deeper than you usually breathe but not so deep that you feel that you're pushing things and you can feel as you breathe deeply and fully the air of the abdomen filling up and then the chest expanding. And then perhaps a slight pause and then emptying the lungs, reversing the process. And just do two or three deep breaths. Breathing in and breathing out more fully and deeply and being conscious of it as we do it. Then bring the head, neck and back into alignment, into a straight line checking to see if there's any tension. Often there's tension around the shoulders or the jaw. And sometimes what that is is evidence of striving, wanting to be a super-duper meditator. And just bringing a moment's attention to the jaw or the shoulders, wherever you may find some tension, releases it or thins it out. And now notice that you're breathing. Perfectly ordinary, normal thing to do. The kind of attention that will be developing in this respiration or breath consciousness is not pinpointed. So we're not seeking out a particular in the body where the breath happens, like the nose or the abdomen. We're simply being open to the experience of breathing and feeling exactly what we feel. Air goes in to two holes called nostrils. The lungs fill up. And there are certain stirrings in the body, sensations which can be concretely experienced. You don't need to know anything about anatomy or physiology. Sometimes that can even be a hindrance. So we're not imagining what breathing is, is like, or what the lungs are like. We're just staying very open and very attentive and experiencing each breath wherever we find it. So there's no one place it's supposed to be. Sometimes you may find the full journey of the breath, As air makes its way in and out of the body. And at other times you may find the visible or tangible sensations are located in one part of the body. There's no norm as to where you're supposed to find it. Wherever it is, for you at that moment, is fine. the universe doesn't stop. Things keep happening. Sounds in the room, thoughts coming in and out of the mind, other parts of the body acting up. Please don't see any of this as an enemy or an obstacle. It's not really good or bad, it's just what's happening. And so the breath, in a sense, is featured, and everything else is permitted to go its own way, peacefully. Sometimes at the beginning it's helpful that they are whispered in the mind to hear, breathing in, breathing out, as each breath happens, or just in, out. Helping to stabilize your attention a bit. From time to not. attention really isn't with the breath and it's worrying about something or planning something out that your attention is with anything and everything as soon as you notice that you're not in touch with the breath actually the sensation of breathing very gently, smoothly, without being in a hurry. Just ease back into the flow of breath once again. This easing back in an unhurried way can be very helpful. Particularly if you see that the coming back to the breath is not a failure on your part or weakness. It needn't be viewed that way. Because what has happened is, even though it's been suggested that your attention be with the breath, in a way the mind has a mind of its own. And so your attention's elsewhere. And you notice that that is what's happening. The mind's preference is to go elsewhere. And you honor that. And very gently ease back to the flow of breathing. empty. breath to follow its own nature <coughs> to do itself, to go its own way. And it's simply attention is there as it happens. At this moment, your attention is not with the breath, where is it? Sometimes you may experience a gap, or a pause, between the in-breath and the out-breath, the out-breath and the in-breath. seems like nothing. Bring attention to that nothing. Great care and attention to each in breath exactly as it happens. Great care and attention to each out breath exactly as it happens. Thank you. Many of you have come quite a distance and will be getting up perhaps earlier than you used to, so make your way back to your room, perhaps have a drink and get a good night's rest. As we make our way back to the room where we're going, see if we can't begin to bring these bring life into these very small, ordinary routine details of living. We'll be awakened at 5.30 tomorrow morning. We'll start to sit at 6.
0: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.